Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of, the, of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there, be, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And then Ephesians 4... 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it, so that it builds itself up in love. Thank you very much, Ron. You may be seated. <clears throat> Probably the, one of the best-known passages of Scripture beyond John 3.16 would be Matthew 28.19 and 20, in which we find the Great Commission. And this Great Commission was given by Jesus to the disciples, who would then be the apostles. Um, and there is a there's a goal clearly stated in this great commission. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, 
even to the end of the age. And so this, this goal is the goal of making disciples. Now notice it doesn't say, go make converts. Now certainly, conversion is a wonderful, beautiful thing that God has done for us who do not deserve it. And we are God's children. We have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have entered into new life. We have been regenerated. We've been reconciled. And that conversion is a beautiful thing. But it is not the end game. It is the means by which we enter into a new relationship. And this goal, ultimately, as is described here by Jesus, is growth in Christ, is this ongoing discipleship. To put it another way, if you have been converted, you are now a disciple of Christ. That is what you are. That is who you are. Yes, you're a convert, but you are a disciple of Christ. You may be a good disciple, a bad disciple. You may be an obedient disciple or a disobedient disciple. You may be fearful or faithful, anxious or alert, hopeful or hesitant, but one thing is true. If there has been true conversion, then you are truly a disciple of Christ. Now that was the goal of the Great Commission. And when the eyes of our hearts were enlightened by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we entered into this new pursuit of growth in Christ. We call it progressive sanctification. This has been the theme of our last few weeks together. And it's been part of my desire just to pause in the Gospel of John and for us to take a little closer look at what it means to grow in Christ because I think sometimes we have a fuzzy understanding of what that looks like. And we talked early about this, but sometimes we whittle it down to, you know, how many chapters did I read in my Bible and did I pray this morning and, and things like that that are kind of tasks that we do, disciplines that we have, which are not bad. They are good, but they are not necessarily the measuring stick for our growth in Christ. And so that's why we decided to go through and look at five metaphors and you have those metaphors there in your handout. And what I tried to do is I, I just try to whittle down just the content of our study on those particular metaphors here in these little statements. So let's just review a little bit here. There's blind theology. And that comes from 2 Peter chapter 1. And um, it says their failure to connect the riches of Christ to the realities of life results in a gap of growing blindness. So instead, we want to be diligent to add to our faith and so be effective and fruitful. And so this blind theology needs to be replaced with this ongoing addition to the faith that we have received so that we can see, so that we're fruitful, so that we are useful for the glory of God. Then there's marriage theology, and the idea there is since um, Jesus is our husband, um, we want to grow into our faithfulness to him. And when we commit adultery, which we all do, we do it through our sin, we w want to repent of our sinfulness and return to his loving, nurturing, and open arms of forgiveness and restoration. Now guys, it's just, these are beautiful pictures and just helpful just to kind of give us a, a greater sense of what it means to make progress in our growth toward Christ-likeness. Then there's tree theology. In tree theology, we're purposely placing ourselves in the context of nourishment through God's Word so that when the varying seasons of life come, and they will, we can find our strength in Christ and produce good fruit rather than thorns. 
And then last week, we talked about heart theology. And this is when we grow in our understanding that the heart is where sin or idols reside and where surgery needs to take place. And are therefore, we are therefore willing to be under the scalpel of God's word who is, through that word, is doing surgery on us. Okay? So just as I mentioned, even as we began this morning, there's something about being free to allow God to expose our sinfulness so that we can be restored to him. And if we recognize that the arena that really needs our attention is the arena of the heart, then we can allow him to do that kind of surgery on us. And uh, that, I think, helps us understand where we need to focus in our growth toward Christ-likeness. You know, because you can read your four chapters a day, you can be at church, you can pray, and still have a heart that is wandering from God the heart that is producing idols. So we all are in that place. We're all struggling with idolatry in our hearts. That's the battleground. Today, though, we want to kind of wrap these metaphors up um, by uh, looking at what I've called body theology. And I'll summarize it here. Then the rest of our time, we're going to flesh out how we got to that statement here and uh, try and give some more packaging so that we can understand it better. Body theology, then, is recognizing that growth in Christ takes place in the context of a body where Christ, the head of the body, channels his gospel nourishment to each and every member of that body for the building up of that body in love. Now, that's a lot said there. But trying to summarize it, trying to boil it down, this is the idea. All of us are part of a body if we're God's children. We're part of the body of Christ, and that body um, is absolutely the arena in which we are to grow toward Christ-likeness. So, where did I get that picture from? Well, this body idea is really a favorite of the Apostle Paul. You'll see him use this analogy um, a number of times. We're going to focus in on really primarily two texts. We read them just a few minutes ago. 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, and then, of course, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, both of these texts are speaking about the subject of the source, the role, the function, and the exercise of spiritual gifts. So these comments and this analogy is brought out in, in the context of Paul talking about spiritual gifts. What do they look like? How are they to be used? How do they relate to one another? Who has them? That kind of stuff. And so we want to go through 1 Corinthians first. And just, I just want to highlight some really important um, truths that Paul is bringing out in 1 Corinthians. Then we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4 as our main text this morning. But let's just pick up some ideas from 1 Corinthians. His main concern is to explain the following. First of all, it's diversity. Diversity. There are many members, but there's one body. Unity and diversity in the body of Christ. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now that might be saying the obvious, but it's important for us to be aware of what it looks like. We are one body, but we're made up of many parts. That means that you, if you're part of the body of Christ, are part of that many parts. Okay. Secondly, it's the principle of inclusion. Inclusion. Every member of the body is included just as much uh, as a part of the body as any other member. And this is the whole thing where, you know, the foot is not going to say to the hand, you know, you know, I, I, I'm nothing. Right? The, 
the hand is included, the foot is included, the, the nose is included, the ear is included. They're all part of the body. And sometimes you might feel, I am not included. But if you're God's child, guess what? You are. Whether you feel like it or not, feeling like it doesn't change the reality of your status. Okay, so we need to recognize that I'm a member of the body of Christ and I belong. I am included. That's what God thinks, and that's what we should think too. All right, the third thing is this, is uniqueness. God has chosen the nature, or I might want to say the unique gift, of each member of the body. Verse, that would be verse 18. But as, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. So if you are an eye, God has chosen for you to be an eye. If you're a foot, God has a reason for you to be a foot. Now, those are images to say that we all have different roles and functions in the body. And God has wired you, he's created you, he's fashioned and shaped you so that you will use the giftedness that he has granted you in such a way to benefit and to build up the body of Christ. And the reason may be, if we're going to use the spiritual gifts, the reason why you have the gift of administration is because I need it. The reason you have the gift of helps is because someone else in the church needs that gift to be used. God has chosen that that is your gifting. And God has chosen for that gifting to be used by you in the context of his church. But it is a unique giftedness. The fourth principle then is the principle of necessity. According to his wisdom, every member is necessary. The weak, the less honorable, the unpresentable parts. I mean, you know, I, I appreciate Paul here being very, very purposely graphic in a right way to talk about the body. There's, there's some things that we just do not want to have on display. But they're necessary. Okay? There are some parts of our body that we don't even see, we don't even know they exist. But they're functioning. And people don't necessarily, you know, um, you know say to you, so, uh, you know, how is your spleen doing today? Well, last time I checked, you know, now, if you have an answer to that, you know, we might be in some difficulty, but there are things that are going on in your body you don't even know of, but it's part of your body, but it's necessary, but no one sees it, okay? So all these different parts are absolutely necessary. Then there's this last one, um, responsibility. And this goes from verse 26. If, if one member suffers, what does it say? All suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So the idea of responsibility here is that every member of the body is to care for every other member of that body. Look if it would at verse 24 and following, which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. The members caring for one another. So, the focus of 1 Corinthians here has been on the body and its members, their gifts, their function, their contribution to the whole body. All right, so just, just look over that list. There's a diversity. We're all different. Okay? Secondly, there's inclusion. Everyone is included. Um, there's a uniqueness, your particular gifting, your particular part. 
There's a need for all those parts to work together, and they all have a responsibility to each other. Okay? Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to focus on verses 15 and 16 to begin with, though. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. This is really where Paul brings out this body analogy in the context of Ephesians 4. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. For from the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So he describes the the church here as an intricate body whose head is Christ. It is a body that is connected, a body that needs to be growing up like Christ. Now get this, where Paul in 1 Corinthians emphasizes the necessity uh, or the necessary function and activity of the members of the body, Paul now in Ephesians 4 emphasizes the connectivity of those members in the body. So it's kind of a different emphasis here. 1 Corinthians 12, he's just talking about all different kinds of members, right? The eye, the foot, the ear, the nose, the hand, and on and on and on. Paul's emphasis now in Ephesians 4, though, is to recognize that those members are there, but what he's getting at is how those members connect, how those members interact, okay? And so our primary task this morning is to recognize that we are all uniquely gifted members of the body of Christ, but it's also to recognize and apply God's truth regarding the nature of connectivity as members of the body of Christ. Now, how many of you have your Bibles with you? I mean the paper kind, okay? The reason I want to share this with you is because your Bible is, you know, it's a book, it's a volume, many, many pages, but those pages are connected to each other. Now, hopefully not at both ends, all right? Then you're going to have trouble reading some parts. But it's called the binding. And the binding is that glue that holds the papers together. And sometimes those bindings or those pages are grouped in like, you know, tens or twenties, and they're folded and they're glued together. It's all part of the binding. So your Bible is, is, is really an illustration of many parts, but there is this connection that takes place in order for this Bible to be what it needs to be, right? When you break a binding, that's not a good thing, right? Binding is absolutely necessary for a healthy Bible. And by the way, if you need to learn how to break your Bible, and I'd be happy to show you, it's really important, okay? Also, let's just think about that analogy again. All of you are wearing clothes today, for which we're all very, very thankful. But your clothes are made up of many parts. Those clothes are held together by stitches, thread, glue, staples, so they don't fall apart, so that they are strong, so that they will last. Some clothes are actually riveted together, aren't they? Jeans, if you're wearing Levi's today, they're riveted, well, as well as stitched. The point is, all those things are necessary to get the various parts together and for them to stay together and to be effective as clothing, all right? The car that you are going to drive away in today is made up of all sorts of parts, and those parts are riveted, welded, screwed, glued, snapped, and I think in many cases, duct taped together, okay? 
They're connected because if you just threw the parts in a box, it wouldn't be a car. Those parts need to be connected. And see, as the body of Christ, we're not just a bunch of parts kind of thrown into the mix and just kind of like left there. Like, you know, there's a hand, there's a foot, and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, someone's doll case. You know, we have Barbies. We have two tubs of Barbies. You know, arms and hands and heads and things like that. Just all, you guys know what I'm talking about. You probably have still boxes at home. All right, you ladies, all right? But what God does with us is he says, listen, you are bodies. You're unique. Uh, you're, you're, you're members of those bodies, but there's a need for those body parts now to be connected so that the body can be mature, okay? So the parts are important. The unique functions are important. Each part has a place. But in each case, there is something that connects the parts together. So that's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. Let's pick it up again. He says there, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, in order for us to understand this whole idea of connectivity, we need to kind of get the big picture of what's going on in the context here of the book of Ephesians. Uh, a number of years ago, one of our senators, um, Hillary Clinton, said, it takes a village to raise your children. Now, whether you like her politics or not, from one perspective, uh, she was onto something. Now, what she was saying, basically, is it's not the responsibility of the parents. It was really the responsibility of the community or the government that's overseeing that community to be the village, to know what's best, right? In the context, however, from a, from a church perspective, um, when it comes to our growth in Christ, we must recognize that it takes a church. It does. Or we could say it this way, it takes a body. A body is necessary for your growth in Christ. It takes a community of believers that are committed to God, His gospel, His word, discipleship, and one another. So that means we're committed to having a right view of God that he exists, that he has all the attributes that are displayed in the word, that we are uh, uh, committed to an accurate view of the gospel, that because of our sin, we are in desperate need of a savior, and that savior comes and dies on a cross in our place and receives the wrath of God on his shoulders so that we don't have to, and we are clothed with his righteousness. We must uh, affirm an accurate view of the scriptures, that the scriptures are the very words of God and that they are sufficient for life and godliness. An accurate view of discipleship that says that, 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 that we must push ourselves to be more and more and more like Christ. We can't just settle back and say, hey, I got my ticket. An accurate view of community that says that we are responsible to one another in growth in Christ. So now Ephesians chapter 4, as we go back to the beginning of of, of uh, Ephesians, let's look at chapter 1. Just briefly, chapter 1, I'll summarize it here with this statement. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That's chapter 1. So we are blameless, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're given an inheritance, we're assured of our place in heaven. Those are all themes that Paul lays out in chapter 1. Chapter 2 now, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That's our condition, but 
because of God's mercy, because of his love, he made us alive together with Christ. Nothing that we did, he breathed life into us. We were aliens, but now we've been brought near. We were strangers, but now we're fellow citizens. Now, chapter 3, all this happened because of the glorious gospel, and he unpacks the mystery of that gospel for us. And then we get to chapter 4. In chapter 4, in verse 1, Paul is urging the Ephesian church to walk in a manner that is worthy of that calling or worthy of that salvation or that new life that he has breathed into us. And to help us walk then, chapter 4, verse 7, he has given us gifts. Okay? Just trying to land the plane now to let us know what Paul is arguing for. Here's what Jesus Christ has done. Here is your condition, but you have been radically changed, changed through the gospel. Now, live your lives in light of that gospel in a way that is worthy for that, or worthy of that gospel. And to help you do that, let me remind you that Jesus Christ has given gifts to men. So we pick it up now at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, at the outset, we must, we must, we must remember that we are living in an age that is influenced by, in, uh, by Western individualism. We tend to come to the Bible and we say, as we're reading Ephesians, we're saying, what does God want me to know about me? And we think of it through the lens that is an individual lens. But Paul is writing to whom? Right? He's writing to believers who are part of the church in Ephesus. And so this body analogy, the things that he is saying here are for the church corporately. See, our American individualism is more like, well, I have my relationship with God. Maybe the church can help, but you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. And that's not what scriptures reveal. Scriptures reveal that our growth in Christ is to take place in the context of a living, breathing, vital, pursuing Christ um, organism that is called the church. So as we read this, we must understand this, this whole body, this corporate thing is taking place. And so the structure of this text falls into three parts. The gifts um, that are given, the goal that is pursued, and then the growth that is accomplished. Let's look now at the gifts that are given to the church by Christ. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. Right? Four things. Apostles, prophets, evangelists. Shepherds and teachers is actually one office. It's one function and role. That is the role and function that God has given me. Pastor, teacher, we usually call it, okay? So there, these, are, these are four roles. The apostles, I believe, 
died away with the beginning of the church. They were unique to the founding of the church. Then the prophets are those who spoke the word of God into the context of that early church used incredibly by him. Then there are evangelists that went out just powerfully sharing the gospel as the, as the, as the gospel spread. There were some unique people who weren't about necessarily planting church, sorry, maintaining churches, but out planting churches. And then there are shepherds and teachers. Now, the whole point here is this. This is all word-based ministry. This is all ministering the truth of God to people kind of ministry. And it's important that we emphasize the priority of word ministry in the context of the church. You're saying, Pastor Rob, that's pretty arrogant, isn't it? You're just focusing on yourself because that's what you do, so you want the priority. No, 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 no. Please hear, hear this out, all right? There are many gifts, wonderful gifts, generosity, faith, leadership, administration, mercy, encouragement, evangelism, discernment, wisdom, service. But all these gifts are revealed, they're clarified, they're encouraged, they're illustrated in and through what? The Word of God. The church would not even know that they have gifts or that there are gifts to be used or what their gifts are unless the Word of God was preached and taught and explained to them. So these word-based ministries, these word-based gifts are critically important for the church because without them, the body of Christ would not be aware or understand their gifting at all. So Paul here is emphasizing the need for word-based gifts. But they have a particular goal in mind, and that's where we go to the next thing. The gifts are given with a particular goal in mind. So why did Christ bless the church with these gifts? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, I am going to pause here, and I'm going to just let you be aware of a history lesson. It's really the history of translation that has had a huge impact on the body of Christ, right? Um, What you have up here on the screen is the King James Version. Great translation of the Bible. For many of us, pretty archaic. I grew up with the King James Version, learned a lot of scripture with the King James Version, actually enjoy it. Um, But one misplaced comma changed and affected how the church did ministry. Now, I want you to read this And think about it this way. We just talked about the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers. And it says now, they have have those roles and functions uh, based on King James Version here for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, they do what they do for three reasons, according to King James. That comma gives you those three reasons, all right? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the body, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So what happened here was... The equipping of the saints, well, that's the responsibility of these word-based gifts. The work of the ministry, ah, that's the responsibility of these word-based gifts. Ah, this last one, the edifying the body, ah, that's the responsibility of these word-based gifts. So you had now this growing dichotomy between what was called the clergy and the laity. Clergy being me up here, laity being you there. Clergy being, you know, I have the bat phone to God. I'm the one who knows what God's word is. I will teach it to you. 
you are too common to even comprehend and understand God's truth. I would not give that to you. God hasn't given it to you. He's given it to the clergy because we are the ones to equip. We're the ones to be doing the work. We are the ones to be doing the building up. All because of one misplaced comma. Now, look in your Bibles. If you have the ESV, if you have more modern translation, you'll notice that comma is not there after the word saints. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Boy, that's so different, but it's so important. And friends, there's still a sense in which the church today, even a church like ours can say, you know, I'm in the hospital, Pastor Rod, you are our pastor, you are a professional clergyman, and I expect you to come visit me. And trust me, if you're in the hospital, I want to come visit you. But you know what? I am just one of the many members that is part of the body of Christ. So if someone comes to visit you in the hospital, and you happen to be someone, that person happens to be someone who works in the nursery or or maybe as an usher, and they come in and they see you, guess what? The body of Christ is reaching out to the body of Christ. But there's this mentality that says, ah, but we need professional clergy. I understand, I understand the respect, I understand the, 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 the authority that comes with that and the responsibility that comes with that. I'm not denying that. What I'm saying is we need to bridge the gap a little bit more and recognize that that role of pastor-teacher is a is a role to be revered and understood and recognized as responsible before God, and we need to love it, we need to protect it, but at the same time, we need to recognize that God has gifted many other people in the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. And that comes out in how we respond to things. You know, well, the pastor didn't call me, the pastor didn't shake my hand. Now, I know I'm picking on me because this is, this is the kind of stuff that happens. And as our church grows, you're not going to have the same kind of connectivity with someone who is in this role of pastor-teacher leadership or even one of our elders to be doing that. Right? So there's a need for us to recognize that we, we need to, to recognize the leadership, but not so much that there's a dichotomy and there's, you know, there's this huge, huge gap in between the two. So what is going on here? What's going on here is this, this, these, these word-based ministries and gifts are being given so that they can equip the saints for the work of the ministry, so that the saints can be equipped so that they can do the work of the ministry. That's considerably different, isn't it? So my role and function, guys, hear this, my role and function is in, in preaching and in teaching and other contexts is to equip the body, is to equip the body, is to equip the body, to do all I can to equip the body so that the body now, whatever their giftedness is, can use what they are being equipped with to accomplish God's purposes in the church. Ultimately, second here, but this really isn't a second, it's a flowing out of, for the building up of the body of Christ. The, the building up, the edification of the body comes through the word-based gifts to the body of Christ, the body then takes that equipping, turns around, and builds up the body with what they are being equipped with. And that's all of us. My friends, that's such a huge, huge principle for us. But I want you to see this is all coming from the head down 
through word ministry into the body of Christ. Then there's this growth that is accomplished. There is a growth that is accomplished through the exercise of these gifts. When the word is taught and the members of the body are ministering, the body of Christ will grow. Again, don't think American growth and statistics. We're not talking about you know, growing, 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 growing. We're talking about maturing, maturing, maturing. Okay, In the context of growing up, it will look like this. It will grow in, first of all, Christ-likeness. Because the body is mature. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are all pursuing that. And as a church, we are all to be pursuing that. So this growth then is fleshed out, is revealed by how much we are like Christ. But there are two aspects here that are mentioned here to attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Let's just kind of think through those things. Typically in our American culture, when we, you know, even our Christian culture, when we talk about faith, we're, we're thinking more of something that's experiential, right? Something that's subjective. But what's going on here, notice here, it says the unity of what? The faith. This is not subjective. This is objective. This is talking about unity as it relates to what we believe. Unity as it relates to theology. Unity as it relates to doctrine. Interestingly enough, it's the next expression, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That word knowledge is the word gnosko, and it has this experiential dynamic. You are, you are interacting with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are growing in your intimacy with Him. You have a unity of the faith, but a unity of knowledge. We are all growing together. There is a subjective side to that. But we're growing together because of the faith that we are united together with. All right, so these two aspects here are absolutely necessary that are pushing us toward Christ-likeness. And so Paul is emphasizing both the head and the heart. He's saying both are important. That the internal outweighs the external. You get that? The internal outweighs the external. God is more concerned about what's going on in your heart than He is about what's going on on the outside. That doesn't mean don't care about the outside. It just means that what's really important is what's inside, and what's inside will flesh out on what's outside, and you'll have a healthy understanding of what to do with the outside when you have a healthy heart that is related to God on the inside. So it's first of all seen in its growth in Christ-likeness. Secondly, it's seen in this growth in stability because the body is not still a child. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. These are all images, friends, of false teachers who lie in wait to deceive. They're not concerned about you. They're not concerned about me. They're concerned about themselves. They are wolves among sheep, predatory in nature. They're cunning. They're crafty. They're deceitful in their scheming. Hear this. Paul is saying, be careful because so many in the body are still like children. And when the waves come, they're, they're kind of bouncing with the waves. They're tossed to and fro. And, and when the winds blow, they're just blowing with the wind of culture and 
the wind of false teaching. And boy, a lot of that language is very similar to what we had with tree theology, isn't it? You have this tree that is planted by the rivers of water and in the season, and the winds come and they blow and all that kind of stuff. But that, that tree is bearing fruit and is solid and secure because its roots are down deep in God's truth. But children, they're not like that. They're children, ultimately, because they are not growing in Christ. And why are they not growing in Christ? Well, there's a couple of reasons. But one of the main reasons would be because they're not benefiting from the teaching of God's Word. Now, that might simply be they don't place themselves under it. They don't take advantage of it. They don't you know, seek to benefit from it. Or they are under a shepherd or shepherds that are not being faithful to open up God's Word. It may still be called preaching, but it's not feeding the soul. It's not there to help those people grow toward Christ-likeness. So some Christians, friends, never seem to grow up. I don't mean for you to be judgmental, but I'm sure as I say that, there are images that are popping in your head. It's a sad thing when God's people do not grow up. They remain children. It's, it's a distorted picture. And as a result, they have a false view of Christianity. They've been deceived by false teaching that says things like, just pray this prayer. Oh, it's a prayer that Jabez prayed. Uh, prayed. He, you know, if you do it like I did for 10 years, God will prosper you. Or if you read my book, you will have purpose in your life. As if no one ever had purpose before that book was read. If you'll just follow these few principles, you'll have your best life now. Go ahead. Let go and let God. Hey, doctrines divide, so don't be so Bible-centered. Don't be restrained. Just let the Spirit lead you. These are all just lies and lies and lies. And God's children, oh, okay, they're not grounded. And so the, the wind comes and it starts to carry them. and blowing this way. And then, oh, the next thing comes. Oh, I'm blowing this way now. What's the next thing? Oh, it's this. This is the way so much of Christianity is, and that's not what God has called us to. He's called us to be rooted in His truth. And He's called us for a church to be mindful that these things are going on. Therefore, to be careful and to be helpful. And friends, that's why I'm duty-bound as a pastor to press you with God's truth. Not just to show you what it says, but to, to force you to consider its implications. To warn you if necessary. It may not be because I think you're that evil. It may be, though, that you are, and I can't even tell. That there's something in your heart that needs to be exposed by the Word of God, and I want to push it, and I want to press it, because your soul and your growth in Christ is at stake. That's love. And friends, it's not just my responsibility before God for you, but it's also our responsibility before God for one another. And that doesn't set well with American Christianity, does it? Who are you to tell me what I should do? Well, it's not a matter of me telling you what to do, but it's, it's coming alongside you. And, you know, and, and if I see you going down a path that is unhealthy, I want to speak up. I, I want to help you. I want to encourage you. Now let's look at the third thing here. This growth is also seen um, in this balance. It's a growth in balance because the body is growing up. Look at verse 15. Speak, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So we're, we're to grow up, first of all. 
Um, secondly, we are to grow up in every way. In other words, in all things. There's a need for balance in the Christian life. Now just imagine if, if you were walking around, but your emphasis was on, on your ankle, you know, your left ankle. So you know, all, all you're doing is just feeding your left ankle. What would that look like? I mean, you'd be like Quasimodo walking around, right? I mean, dragging your, your leg behind you. That's not a good picture of a healthy body. And there's, there's a need for balance as we are growing up. And so it means that we are to be growing up intellectually, knowing the Scriptures better, in application, asking questions like, do I have a better grasp of how God's Word applies to my life? That goes back to our relating the riches of Christ to the realities of life, that gap and that growth that we need to, we need to be pursuing. Am I growing in my conduct? In other words, is my behavior flowing out of my growth and understanding? Is it just stuff that's happening in the head, or is it now affecting what I choose to do and how I think and how I behave? Is it growth and affection? When I, when I read God's truth, does it move me? Does it cause me to stop and to pause and to say, God, you are amazing. You are incredible. I am in awe of you, and I praise you. Does God's word do that? And to understand him means that we will be moved by him. Let me pull out a couple of other verses of scripture just that speak to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20 says this, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Now, what does he want us to think on? He wants to think on the gospel. He wants us to think on his word. He wants us to think about the things that he has revealed to us, that reveal who he is, that reveals his character, his loves, his passion, but it also reveals how he wants us to live. He wants us to be not children, but he wants us to be mature in our thinking, but he wants us to be infants in our evil. Then Romans chapter 16, verse 19 says something pretty similar. I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. And this goes back to, don't be like children. You shouldn't be children. You shouldn't be like a child after so many years. You should be growing in maturity. You should be growing up into manhood. So, since children tend to be fickle, unstable, naive, and easily deceived, we are all called to be encouraging one another in this balanced growth toward Christ-likeness. And we do that, according to verse 15, by speaking the truth in love. Now, this is where the idea of balance is necessary. Speaking the truth. Is it important to speak the truth? Apparently, Satan doesn't want me to get this message out here. Okay? He wants us to speak the truth. He wants us to do it in love. Literally, though, what's going on here is this. It literally means truthing in love. We are to speak the truth. We are to live the truth. Both go hand in hand. So we are to be speaking the truth and living the truth in a loving manner. So, 
when there is something that needs to be addressed, when we are helping one another grow in Christ, and someone says, you know, I'm, I'm trying to pursue the Lord, and there's a glaring sin issue in their life, but they can't see it, and you're saying, Lord, I, I have to say something here. If I'm going to help them, and they're asking me for help, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to reveal to them what I perceive to be a sin issue in their life. I want to do it with truth, and I want to do it with love, and I want to do it in such a way that demonstrates that I, am, I don't think I'm any better than them. In fact, I am just like them. I struggle with similar things. So we love one another, but we speak the truth. We don't avoid speaking the truth. We do it lovingly, carefully, and for the glory of God. So to put it another way, we are to be lovingly ministering to one another in word and deed. We care for one another, so we minister the truth. We want to encourage one another, so we minister the truth. We are concerned for one another, so we minister the truth. But it is not simply, here's the truth, deal with it. It is, I've been where you've been. Have you ever had that kind of a conversation? I, I, maybe I don't know exactly what you're going through, but you know, I've been in a very similar spot. Um, I've sinned in this way just like you. I've faced this kind of fear, this kind of anxiety, this kind of crisis, and I want to help. I want to show you how God helped me. I want to show you how great God is even in this trial. I want to show you how you can trust him even though things look so desperate. I want to warn you that in the midst of what you're going through that there are going to be temptations and here's how you can be prepared for them. That is speaking the truth in love. Now get this. It can't just happen from here. The whole purpose of Paul's discussion here is that this is happening in the context of a body. That we are doing this for and to one another because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We love the church. We love the people that are members of that church. So the growth is accomplished through Christ-likeness, stability, balance, and now, finally, this idea of cooperation. This cooperation. Now, I'm pulling here from verses, verse 16 this idea that, that we have a responsibility now to one another. Let's look at it again, and let's just try and put the pieces together. There's going to be about four or so pieces that we're going to pull out of here to get the image that Paul is using. But all that we've discussed so far feeds into this because he's now bringing this illustration to help us understand all that he's been talking about. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What is Paul saying here? Number one, I want you to notice what he says, the whole body, the whole body, where Jesus is the head. You go back to chapter 1 and verse 22, talks there about Jesus ultimately being that one who is over the church. He's been given that authority. He is the one that disseminates all truth here through those who are doing word-based ministry to the members of the body. He is the head. We are the members. Okay? That's the analogy here. All right? This whole body. Secondly, this whole body then is joined. The idea here then is that the parts are fitted closely together. 
they are joined together. This is actually used in chapter 2 to describe how the members of a building or parts of a building, the bricks in the building, are joined together. All right, anyone here have a brick house? Anyone here ever seen a brick house? All right, you know, when bricks are supposed to be, you know, joined and, and close and tight, not with big gaps with air going through them, right? The idea is that they're carefully placed together. There are no gaps. That's the idea that's being talked about here. There is this kind of harmony. There are these, these parts that are bound together. They fit into one another. There's like a ball and a socket relationship going on. These parts are working together. They're bound together in an amazing way, just like the body is. And, unlike many of us, there is a smoothness in the joints. There's no creaking. There's no pain. That's the idea here of being joined together. As they connect, they're connected, fitting closely and just in, in such a way that there is harmony. Secondly, then, or I should say third thing here, is they are held together. And the idea here is that they're, they are compacted. They're closely knit. They're, they're brought and held together. Whereas joined emphasize the mechanical harmony, These, this, this holding together emphasizes the mental harmony. So there's this, there's this harmony of, that's taking place both in the physical body but also in the thinking process here. Now how is all this being, uh, being brought into being? How is this all maintained? Look at next it says, by every joint with which it is equipped. And this is where our English language betrays us. This is where we get a little confused because this, this verse is a little confusing. Just the way it's written, it is a little confusing. I'll grant you that. But I want you to note where it says here joint, the literal word, idea of the word joint here um, is, is really a band. It's a connecting link. So don't look at joint and think, aha, that's talking about the members of the body. It's not. It's talking about where the muscles come together and attach themselves to the bone. Okay? It's talking about uh, all the various parts of the body that are all kind of intertwined together that come to a, a joint, a connection. And maybe the best, way to, to, or best word to use here is these are all talking about bands, so to speak, through which the supply of life passes to each part. So they're channels through which the supply, this life, this nutrient, this energy passes to the body. Then there's this word equipped, and the idea of the word equipped here is this supply, an abundant supply. All of the fullness that we receive, the exceeding riches of His grace, all the fullness of God, all of this now is being channeled into the body through these bands that are called joints here to the various parts of the body. Okay, so it's a little different here. It's a little different picture. Now all of this Nourishment or supply comes from the head through the bands to every part. All right, everyone, hold your finger up. All right, and I want you to pinch your finger. Okay? All right, you felt that pinch if you did it properly. Okay? And if you felt that pinch, you felt that pinch all the way up in your head. There was a connectivity through your vascular system to that particular nerve on the end of your finger, that vascular system went through your finger to your hand to your arm, ultimately to your spine, and then up into your brain, right? Assuming that your brain is in your head, okay? 
wiggle your pinky. How did you do that? Well, it was my pinky. My pinky has been made to wiggle. That's the role and function of my pinky, to wiggle. Do you know there are things you do with your pinky that you don't even know that you do? If you're from England, you do this, right? Sometimes you just grab things. It's just all part of it, right? Yeah, now you're starting to think, oh, I feel it. Yeah, I'm actually thinking about it. But your mind is just is in control of those parts. It's not just in control, though, of your pinky. It's in control of your vascular system, your muscles, of the blood that is flowing through the veins to control these many parts. It all comes from the head. See, the, the parts of the body are not just parts. They're parts that are connected. And they're connected with the nourishment that is the gospel and the riches of the gospel that flow through the body to all those different parts. And different parts of your body then help other parts of your body. It's kind of the, the bigger picture here of what's going on. So friends, the picture that Paul uses here then is a picture of this word-based ministry going through, from the head down through those who are gifted into the body, to the parts. But the idea is that it, it goes through these channels that are interconnected and, 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 and bring these, these body parts together so that the body can be united. The reason I'm walking right now is because my head is telling all the different parts of my body, working through all those systems to say, walk, whatever that looks like. It's all beginning here. It's being channeled through all these different things. It's a wonderful picture. It's a wonderful analogy. And that is a picture of what the body of Christ should be. That Jesus Christ is the one that determines what we do and where we go and how we function and what we say and how we care for one another. So I want to bring it down now to three concluding thoughts for us. Okay, Three concluding thoughts. Ideas that flow out of this body metaphor. Number one, we need training. We need training. The body needs to be trained. Each member of the body needs to be trained. Usually when we think of training, we think of it for the purpose of leadership. I mean, in the context of the church, you know, training for leadership. But training is really something that should be really for yourself first. So I've just divided it into three parts. There's training for living. That's personal growth. There's training for ministry. That's body growth. Maybe there's a certain particular area of ministry I want to develop and grow in. And then there's, I'm going to say, training for leadership, leadership growth. But, but first and foremost, our training is training for self. I don't mean that in a prideful way. I mean that we, are, we want to be growing in Christ ourselves. We want to be developing and being trained so that we can be used wherever God wants us to be. So I just want to be trained. That's a responsibility then. We, there's another word that is used to describe that. It's equipping. Okay? Here's a definition then of training. Training is the growth of all Christians in conviction, in character, in competency. Three things, conviction, character, competency. So that in love they might minister to others by prayerfully being, uh, bringing the word of God to them. Whether they are uh, non-Christians in outreach, whether they're new Christians in follow-up, or all Christians in daily growth. I know you can't get that down, but the idea then is, is, is your competency, your character, and your conviction are all the means that, that God is trying to fashion and shape so that you can do ministry, word ministry, to all sorts of different people.
people. Guys, we, we need training. We're called to train. There's a responsibility for the church to be training its members. Second thing is this. We need counseling. You say, well, counseling? What are you talking about? I don't come here to be counseled. Let me paint a picture for you. Have anyone here ever gone canoeing before? All right. A lot of outdoorsy people, apparently. All right. All right. Go canoeing. You have you in the front, maybe someone else in the back, and you've been canoeing, and all of a sudden you come and you're arriving on a sandbar. Think of counseling as sandbar ministry. It's been a long day. You're tired. You're burdened down. You've been out in the sun. And so the reason you're on the sandbar is because you're now afraid of the water. It's probably not a good thing if you've been canoeing. You're unsure of the obstacles that lie ahead. You're forgetting how to paddle. You're having difficulty communicating with that person in the back that won't do the right thing with their paddle. You're taking on too much water. You're extremely tired because you've been paddling upstream when you should be going downstream. You're fatigued because of the heat of the sun. You're panicked because the boat almost tipped over and on and on and on and on and on. And the idea is our, is our Christian life is like this river that's just wandering around. But every once in a while, for whatever reason, different reasons, we end up on these sandbars. And friends, we need help. You ever been on a sandbar before? Yeah, sometimes it's really hard to push off on a sandbar, isn't it? But where am I supposed to go? And how am I supposed to maneuver? And what do I do when I get here? And where am I supposed to go? And all that's part of counseling that takes place. There's an analogy but in the context of the church. We are constantly counseling one another with different things. Hey, I've been on a sandbar like that before. I, yeah, I know what it's like to take in water. I know what it's like to be in the front of the canoe and have someone like that behind you. I know what that's like. But now let's work on what it means to get back out in the water and to paddle down this, this, this river in such a way that would glorify God, even though I am weak and frail and having difficulty. So if someone comes along and says, here's what you do, here's what you focus, there's a couple of boulders down there, stay to the left when you get around that one, stay to the right, they're giving you instructions. That's all love, that's all help, that's all care, right? And then there are those that really get stuck on, on the sandbar, and sometimes that's when we need to step away from, I want to say, body life counseling to some kind of formal counseling and say, all right, let's talk about what's going on here in, in, in the canoe and, and spend a little bit more time with them. But this is all taking place in the context of the body of Christ. Right? We need counseling. This is how the body of Christ is working together. The final thing is this. We need fellowship. Now, I'm not talking about donuts. Okay? I'm not talking about ribeye steaks. We can talk about that later, okay? All right, I'm not just talking about, about, you know, talking about, you know, some baseball team or some soccer team or, you know, some hot rod or whatever it might be. I'm, fellowship is when we are talking about the things of God. When God and his word and growth in Christ is, is the topic of discussion, and sometimes that comes in the context of just meeting with someone over coffee and just talking about things that, that you're struggling with or maybe ways in which God is growing you. Um, it's, just, it's just fleshing out the things of God. And that's, that's fellowship. That's encouraging one another with the word of God. Okay? So let's not, you know, let's not whittle away this definition of fellowship. Fellowship is absolutely important. And we, and we can't do that simply clergy doing it with the lady. No, this is all of us are doing this together. It's just a wonderful picture of the body functioning together, caring for one another, 
And there's this aspect of we need to be trained. And none of us are going to be perfect. In fact, when, when we're initially trained, we have to jump out and try and experience some things and try things out and learn and grow. And that's all part of what it means to be trained. You've been through that. And we need counseling. Sometimes it's more casual, sometimes it's more formal. But we also need fellowship. We need sometimes just for someone to come and pray with us. Someone to encourage us. And friends, that's on a practical level. Most of that kind of stuff, I mean, there's a huge bit of what's going on here that can be a little bit more formal. Some of the training can be formal. Some of the counseling can be formal. But a bulk of that counseling and most of that fellowship is going to take place outside of our Sunday morning gathering. It takes place on the phone. It takes place just driving somewhere together, hanging out together, whatever it might be. And friends, we must see that the body of Christ is this ongoing organism that we are a part of that is necessary as, a, as the arena of our growth toward Christ-likeness. You are not alone. You're not supposed to be alone. In fact, you are part of a community. You're part of the body of Christ. I don't know what part you are, but you have a part. You are a part, and that part is vital, and it's necessary. But that part is also fed and connected, and God's truth and God's nourishment and God's help comes to us through his word. It permeates out through all of us so that we can be helping one another to grow in Christ. Friends, it's just an absolutely beautiful, beautiful picture. I want to close with Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, which we read earlier as we began our services today. It says this, Him we proclaim, Paul is saying this, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Now that's Paul's desire. That's what Paul recognizes is going on. That's his passion. This is actually the verse of Scripture that we have chosen uh, to, to be the basis of our ministry and our vision. Friends, may we flesh out what God has given us in his word to one another so that we can all be growing toward being like Jesus Christ. Lord, help us now as we consider your truth, as we consider this picture of the, the church being the body of Christ. And Lord, we recognize that the reason that we even exist as the church is because of what you have done in coming to this earth fulfilling a plan, Lord, that was birthed in eternity past, that you would come and you would enter this world and you would take on the, the form of a servant. You would be God incarnate and you would come uh, not simply to, to perform a miracle here or to do something fancy here, but Lord, you came ultimately to go to a cross and on that cross you died in our place and on that cross you took upon yourself all of our sin. You suffered in your body. You shed your blood. You were that sacrifice once for all. And because of that, we who have been drawn by you, Lord, to yourself, we who have been birthed again, renewed, Lord, regenerated by your gospel, we have new life. And Lord, today, 
at this moment, we want to celebrate that together. Oh, Lord, we want to rejoice because we know there's nothing that we have done. Even our response to the gospel, Lord, is something that you have breathed into us. We could not have responded to you, Lord, in that way because we wouldn't want to. But Lord, because of your grace and your goodness, we are able to come and we're brought into your family and we enjoy all the benefits, all the joys of what it means to be your children, to be part of your body. And Lord, you haven't left us there. You keep moving us along, growing us through your word, growing us by means of your Holy Spirit to be conformed to your son, Jesus Christ. We are so totally blessed. And Lord, we have the prospect of heaven, of being reconciled with you in eternity, standing in your presence, adoring you face to face. And Lord, we long for that. And Lord, today, as we long for that, we want to celebrate what you have done to accomplish that by means of your Lord's Supper. So Lord, bless us now. Help us to remember in a way, Lord, that would honor you. We ask this in your name. As was mentioned earlier, if you are a